Yo, 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 my ready football podcast, David Lawson, alongside my good friend Stefan Hosen, ready to talk about some football. Always look forward to this time. What's up, Stefan? I'm good, man. Just here taking in the team for our topic today. Leicester City right now, one, one nil up against Sheffield. Ready to get into Definitely. this discussion. Definitely, because most importantly, and uh, I mentioned this on last week's podcast, uh, we want I want to talk to you about Brendan Rodgers. I know you have some strong opinions on him, of him, and Brendan Rodgers is a not a controversial figure, but he's a, a figure that splits opinions down the middle. Um, he's either either on one side or the other side. Uh, some people think that he's done a great job. Some people think he's unlucky. Some people think he's a loser. It's a choke, and you have some opinions. I know you're going to back them up. But first, you know, I just wanted to also talk about some quick hits with you. I want to get into what has happened to Pulisic, Pulisic's um, great American star. It you know, hasn't worked out with him so far. It uh, didn't work out really well for him at um, Dortmund before. He ended up being sold to Chelsea. Um, there's a lot of hype around him. want to ask you a bit about Juventus. And when we finish everything, I want to get into... The most memorable performances each one of each one of us have seen, where at the end of it you said, Damn, how did that team lose? They did everything right and they still lost. And disclaimer, I won't put in any England performances. <laughs> anyway, let's jump right into it. Uh Brendan Rogers. I want to start with him first. Brendan Rogers, what's your opinion of Brendan Rogers, Stefan? It's funny that you say that I have strong opinions on him. I, I don't necessarily think I have strong opinions on him. I have my own opinion for sure. Um, I personally think he's a good manager. But to me, I think he's one of those guys who, remember last week we talked about reality and media influence and all of those kind of things. I think um, he's a tad overrated by the media. I think he's put on a pedestal that he hasn't quite achieved yet. And I think that extends to his team on a whole. There's something about Leicester. Since they won that championship, they just seem to be everyone's little Cinderella team. And that greatly annoys me because um, I, I'm just not a fan, per se. I wasn't a fan of when Leicester won the title. I, I thought they were a garbage team, played garbage football. But they won. Mares played fantastic. He was really good. Vardy had a dream team season. And they won. Uh, and that season was made me realize that Arsene Wenger needed to go to. Uh, when, spoiler alert, when we talk about performance, I can't believe a team lost. <laughs> Let's just say Arsene Wenger will feature in that. <laughs> when, when I think of Brendan Rodgers, I'm actually split on it because I do think he got a raw deal when he lost the title with Liverpool. People always forget the fact that Liverpool, with three games left, needed to win two, draw one to win, to, to win the title. And Liverpool was playing fantastic football. Suarez was playing well. Storage was amazing. Gerrard in that deeper role was, was really good. They had a poor defence because they had poor defensive players. Coutinho and Sterling as young players really were interchanging fantastic performances. He had that rotational diamond. With Sterling was playing behind the two strikers. And they would go into... Storage would go left or Suarez would go right. And it was very fluid in a way he played. And Liverpool really transcended. And they looked like they were going to be where they are now, actually. Well, where they were the <laughs> last year. Where they were last year. And they lost to Chelsea. 
and he gets blamed, but the facts are simple. Storage was injured for that game. Yeah. Henderson was suspended for that game. Storage had to come on, was not fully fit. They're playing against a Chelsea team that, yes, weren't playing their strongest team, but they were playing in a manner in which it didn't really matter because Chelsea was just going to defend in low blocks. Steven Gerrard makes a mistake that makes them go down 1-0, and that's why they lose the game. There was no tactical... I don't think there's any manager on the planet that would have made them win that game. It just so happened that bad luck happened. Yep. Then the next game, they have to know, because they lost because they lost that game, it now comes down to goal difference. They're up 3-0 against Crystal Palace. They draw 3-3, but that's because they're trying to score goals because the goal difference was so poor. Yep. And that's what happened. So, and people always forget about that. And I remember a popular football writer was saying, yes, but you have to understand that Chelsea, we didn't know that City could have won their last game. City was playing, I think it was Newcastle, who had nothing to play for. Um, and you say, we saw how City struggled to win their previous title. It's like, actually, no, City were behind and they came back and won. Uh, they, there was no real um, no real late struggles. They struggled in the last game against Crystal Palace. There were some struggles because uh, Crystal Palace, um, sorry, not Crystal Palace, was Joy Barton's team, Madman Joy Barton's team at the time, Queen's Park. Mm. So they and ended up not winning the title, but I felt coming second was really good. They lose Suarez. And they just Liverpool just make use the money and just make every terrible deal in the world. Yeah, Sturridge loses his fitness. Sterling wants out. Coutinho is on the edge. Um, Gerard is done, and every player that they sign is trash. Yeah, nothing works, and then he gets fired. Goes to Celtic, does really well because he's coaching Celtic, and he gets a job in the Premier League. He boosts up Leicester, and now he has them in the top four. I think it, the, the, you say he's a good manager. When we say good, there's good managers, there's very good managers, and there's great managers. Great managers are the top managers that win things that everybody look to. So that would be, who would you consider a great manager? A great manager right now? Don't say Guardiola. Let us say another name. Wait, go, go over your list. You said there's a good manager, there's very good manager. There's good managers, there's very good managers, and there's great managers. Okay. Who would you say is a great manager? Uh, if I was going to say a great manager right now, I'd say Jurgen Klopp is a great manager. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp is a great manager. Uh, when I, I agree with you, Jurgen Klopp has transferred, transformed Liverpool, won titles, won Champions League titles, um, has gotten the best out of football players, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say Jose Mourinho was a great manager in the 2000s. He's now a very good manager. Yep. I think we can agree on that. I don't think Jose Mourinho is the type of manager that can go to a top club and they will win things automatically. I think he's at the level where he belongs. Tottenham, a yeah. team that's striving to get into the top four. Rodgers, you say, is a good manager. A good manager is a, is a manager who can get his team close to the top four, but will never get there. That, like a Martin O'Neill used to be for Aston Villa. Very one-dimensional in his way of thinking, but for the you know they can tease you for many seasons. Think, oh, maybe they might get into the top four. But yeah. where and the reason why I put Rogers in the good manager, and even though his team is having is likely going to finish in the top four, Rogers it came to my attention has never won a knockout tie in Europe, whether it be Europa or obviously Champions League. Like his record in Europe is appalling. Recently, Leicester lost to. 
Slavia Prague. At home. I'm not, I'm not familiar with their <laughs> with their um genius of work, but like the team that he picked, they should have been able to more than get that get the result. They had most of the ball, 11 shots to seven. They lost two, they lost two nil. And that's to me why Rogers, that's the real criticisms of Rogers. Like Rogers cannot get his team past that sort of level. Like, how do you not get your team past a Slavia Prague? Like, when you look at that, you know that the manager has serious issues. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you summed up right there. And I love that you brought in Martin O'Neill because I think that's the, the perfect level of manager to compare him to. And Coincidentally, they're both from Northern Ireland. North, both Northern Ireland, both managed Celtic. They both were essentially liked by the media. Um, I think that's something that Rogers benefited from. He might, he also suffered from it at Liverpool because, as you said, he got a raw deal. I think when he left Liverpool, he was blamed um, a bit unfairly on their failings. As you said, uh, things happen in football. A, a slip took him away from a title. And once he lost Suarez, he wasn't in control of signings and his team brought in a bunch of garbage that didn't work for him and he lost his job. He's gone to Leicester. Sorry, he went to Celtic and he reinvented himself. But I think... My main problem with Rodgers, and I think right now, yes, he's done well with Leicester, but as you said, he just doesn't get them over the hump. Um, and he seems to benefit from the swing of what he had at Liverpool. People excuse a lot of things. They excuse his record in the knockout. They excuse the fact that um, his team plays probably the most boring football in the top 10. They excuse the fact that when it comes up, they're going to score right now. Oh, they just missed. <laughs> uh, they excuse a lot of things for him, and that, that to me sums up a little bit of overrating, a, a little bit of overlove for him. Maybe they're doing it to um, correct what they did to him in Liverpool in the past. But as I said, just a good manager. I, I'm, not, I'm not bashing him per se. I understand why he does the things he does at Leicester. But my main criticism for him is I just don't think he, he manages to get the best out of his team, his players, and Which player specifically you don't think he's getting the best out of? Uh, when, you, when you look at Leicester, what do you think of? You think of Jamie Vardy, and they've essentially played the same way of football since they won the title. They're, they sit deep, they counter, and they try and get Jamie Vardy into goal-scoring opportunities. That has worked well for them. That type of football, that very simplistic type of football, will always work in the Premier League. But when it fails, he has no adjustment. And when you look at the players he has, Yuri Tielemans, Harvey Barnes, who I'm a big fan of, um, they brought in Sengis Unger from, from Roma, who was a player I thought could reinvent himself over here. Um, they have a lot of attacking tools that they could be using in a more devastating way. But simply because, based on the fact that they're simply going to play to Jamie Vardy's strengths, we don't see that. So could that be that the manager has realised two things? When I try to be more expansive... It didn't. It it didn't work. Um, teams counterattack me, and we don't have the the system and the players to deal with it. So let me take my foot off. It isn't an adjustment that now he's taking the foot off the pedal. Be more reactive. Be be be, be more pragmatic. Play to the strength of our of our goal scoring our best player. player. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Madison is always in and out with injuries. Yeah, that's another so, one I don't think they get the best out of as well. Madison, I forgot to mention him. But that I do, I, I do agree with you on the, the getting the best out of players, but the, I won't say Madison because Madison's been up and down with injuries. 
So yeah. it, you could always you could say it's the manager, but you could also say it's because of the injuries. Yeah. So, and yeah, I, yeah. I do think it has something to do with the fact that when we think about Rogers at Liverpool, what we think about is he was very experimental. He tried a lot of things. He went for different things. You mentioned he had the diamond where Sterling was um, behind Suarez and Sturridge, and there was a lot of interchanging. There was there was periods in time when Sterling was playing right back or right wing back. He tried a lot of innovative things and he got a lot of praise for that. Once it failed, and I've realized this in England specifically, once an innovative manager fails, the media hound them. And I think yeah. that is something that he suffered from, which is why now at Leicester, he's very simplistic. He sticks to one thing. He hasn't reinvented the wheel at Leicester. And I think that's to the detriment of not only himself, but to the team. Yeah, he plays those two two lines, the two centre back lines, the two deep deep midfielder lines in Tillemans and in Didi. Uh, those two, those four, just stay almost in front of each other like a rectangle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there is no, there's there's very little interchange movement or whatever. And every game they seem to be in. They they seem to be very lucky this season because it's a weird year, no fans. Um, yeah up and down form with many teams, burnout teams don't have the luxury of the substitutions like they have in, in Europe. So it's three sub rule, which I think has killed Liverpool per se. Yeah. Um, so it has helped him and he should, he should finish top four this season. Yeah. I think but, unlike last, last season, I, I saw the writing on the wall very early that Leicester weren't going to be able to hold on to top four. Um, I was, even before COVID stopped the season, I was saying they're going to fall out because it just didn't look good. Um, but yeah, this season they've been they've been lucky. They've been lucky to hold on. Even going off of their, their last few games, they've been lucky to get points against them in most of those games. Yeah. Uh, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they draw this game. When they, against Sheffield, when, when the whole COVID hit, though, the thing is with Rodgers on, this is why he's so polarizing in this regard. Because... If you had said to ever, if you had said to Leicester fans before last season, "Hey, you're going to come fifth in the Premier League," they would have been like, "Really, fifth? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, sign yeah. me up." <laughs> they, they, they're in that mindset. Of course, we're not as good as like the the top four teams. They say you're going to come fifth. Are you going to give the top four a run for the money? It's going to be close, but you know you're going to come fifth, and and they'll be like, "All right, who's on the other team?" and and then you realize, and like this season, if they come third or fourth, uh, every Leicester City said, yeah, and then the following year, you're actually going to come top four. They'll be like, wow, Rogers is a genius. Yeah. But then you actually, but you have to take the environment into consideration and why they came top four and yeah. what's really happening. So um, just to wrap up on Rogers quickly, you have him as a good manager. I think he's closer to very good but can't get into very good until he shows me something in Europe uh, where like I was, I had like for people don't believe me. I had, I have Pochettino um, when he was at Tottenham. I, I thought he was a great manager. Yeah. Uh, I don't care that he didn't win. So to me, it's not about winning. Poch- Pochettino is a great manager. Pochettino played good football. Tottenham was always getting better. He, he was terrible at signing players. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was absolutely terrible. Got the best out, better out of young players, and he got better in Europe every year. Got absolutely better in Europe, and his only, you know, only reason his love affair with Sissoko cost him. <laughs> um, so that's that's that. Yeah, I, All right. I, 
my summation of it is I, I definitely don't think he needs to win anything per se. He could be a great manager and not win anything. He just needs to maximize on the team and the players he has. That's that's my real hindrance for him. Once he maximizes on the team and pulls off some results, gets some, gets some finals. It, it's not only Europe as well, because even in some of the knockouts, like they lost to Aston Villa in the Carling Cup semifinal, I believe. That's something that they should have been in the finals based on their team. So just maximize on those things and he'll get there. The... The, the the fact is that people I don't think look at Leicester as 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 a team that should be where they are, and I think you yeah. look at them as a team that should be where they are. I, I also I, last, I grade them I a lot. Correct, I just want to correct something quickly on Martin O'Neill. Uh, Martin O'Neill at Celtic was a very good manager, and he did very well in the U, um, UEFA Cup at the time. Oh, yeah. He went was to a bit final. better than the Europe. Yeah, he went to the finals. I remember a couple of times. I remember he also knocked out Barcelona one year. He was he was very good at Celtic. Premier League, mm, good manager. Good manager, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think actually think this summer is going to be big for Leicester because Jamie Vardy is now 34 years old. And mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say he's slowing down. How do they reinvent that wheel moving forward? That's going to be big if, for, for Rodgers. If, if I'm Rodgers... I get out now. This is the time to get out. You cash you leave in. The, you you leave the club. You, you leave the club. You cash in. You use nothing. You you get them into the top four. Nobody. Oh, you and I talk about Europa Cup and all those knockouts and knockout thing. All the things when you remember, he man, he all the, the narrative is going to be he took bless, he got Leicester back to the yeah. top four. They won the title, they fell off, they had to fire the manager, he came back. And he rebuilt them. He got them to the top four. What a guy. You, you <laughs> yeah. crashing those chips. Because uh, next year, I believe every team in EPL is going to be better. Every team is going Every top team is going to be better. And yeah, yeah and to replace a guy like Vardy is going to be damn near impossible. So yeah. you crash out now. Yep. All if, right. If, if Mourinho leaves, you know, who knows? Yeah, that's, a, that's an option. Anyway, quick hits, quickly. Pulisic, what has happened to him? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, when when T- Thomas Tuchel came over, everyone thought this would be the new um, lease of life for Pulisic. And so far, he's been kind of slowly integrated into the team. But as Thomas said the other day, you know, he might play tomorrow, he might score a goal, he might start the next game and be the captain. Like, I just think it's a situation where he has to earn his spot. Talking about boring football, man, Chelsea play some really eyesore football with two times. <laughs> I don't know if that's because he's just trying to solidify defense and just like I'll give players a year, next year I'll have better judgment because he's there to solidify the team, try and make them tough to beat um, and see how far they can go in the Champions League and keep them in the top four. So that's the best way to do that is to keep the defense tight. I think I just asked that where he's the second manager ever to get four clean sheets in his first four EPL games. Yes. With Brendan Rodgers, apparently. With Swansea. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, talk about innovation. I forgot to mention. Brendan Rodgers at Swansea was very um, innovative. He was the one who really made Swansea like what, the what? type of team that were like, whoa, that, yep. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, that everyone's favorite um, low-level team because they played such good football. Yeah, but when you when... think of Swansea and Liverpool, he, he was really creative. Like He was seen as some Northern Ireland pep. And then he's just kind of become a coward. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess criticism will do that to you. Uh, but yeah, Pulisic, uh, you know, ESPN wrote an article 
you know, enduring the worst spell of of, of his Chelsea career, but hope is not lost. It's it's looking, he's still only 22 years old. He's a fantastic talent, but he seems to have hit an English wall. When he was at Dortmund, the problem seemed to be Jaden Sancho. And now he's come here and a lesser talented player, Mason Mount, seems to have kind of closed the door on him, kind of kept him out. And last year, this time, I don't think anybody would have thought that. Everyone would have said Mason Mount was the was a player who should be out of the team and Pulisic is a star. And every casual fan would be like, yeah, Pulisic, he's really good. That's it. We got to watch him. He's so good. But he just hasn't been the same since the FA Cup final. Could be injury, came to season hurt, and yeah. he's been struggling. Yeah, he's he's been a player who's gotten a lot of injuries. Even at Dortmund, he, what slowed him down was injuries as well. But I think one of the major issues with him is um, I don't think he's yet to identify a position that's really his own. He's played quite a few. I mean, players of that ilk tend to play both on the right and the left, attacking midfield, second striker. But I don't think he's identified one position out of all of them that's really his own. And that's kind of problematic at this point. I always worry about players who you don't know what position they are and how they're going to fit. It depends on the the, the team. Like the system has to basically be the position. You have to be able to use me. Like you can't stick him on the right. You can't stick him on the left. Um, and they just do damage. It has to be so much fluidity. So now you're depending on the manager and the players around you to get the best out of you rather than you being able to get the best out of everyone else because you just don't have that natural position. You can't play central midfielder. You can't play behind the striker. You're not. It's just so much things. And that's that's what I see as the issue with Pulisic. Yeah. All right, moving on to Juventus. Quick hits on them. They got knocked out of the Champions League. Spent a lot of money on Cristiano Ronaldo. It's hoping to bring them that Champions League title. It hasn't happened. Where do Juventus go from there? I know Dybala is out of contract next year, and so is Ronaldo. Uh, that's interesting. Um, could we put Ronaldo into the category of the best signing that might have worked, but it's actually the worst signing ever made? Because Juventus have struggled in Europe with him. They brought him in, as you said, to get them over the edge. They went to, what, two Champions League finals in the three years before he came? Something like that? Yes. They lost to uh, uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. And then they decided that the best way to get forward is to get the best Champions League player ever into their team. And they have lost to Ajax, Leon, and now FC Porto. Um, it doesn't look good for them. I, I always said that move was a bit risky because I didn't think Ronaldo was good enough to carry a team to the Champions League final. I always thought it was the other way around. I thought it was the team that was carrying him to the Champions League finals. Um, mm-hmm. weird, weird move. Juventus are in an in a interesting position because what's really happened with that Ronaldo move is that it's really financially harmed them. We've seen this every summer. They have to do these weird, these weird transfers to try and balance the books. They got rid of Pjanic to get in Arthur, who's been useless for them. The year before, they got rid of Cancelo, who's looking superb now, to get in Danilo to balance the books some way. They've consistently weakened the team because of the money they put into Ronaldo, and it's showed up. It's showing on the performances. They're not going to win Serie A this year, and they've been knocked out of the Champions League early every year since he's been there. You know, something you know made me laugh. Sometimes I just wonder when when play, when coaches and managers or whoever are signing players, like what like what are they seeing? Like Danilo, I remember when Guardiola signed him. It's like, have you watched him play at Real Madrid? Danilo is a is a certified scrub. He's no good. Uh, and of course, you know, when I say these terms like certified scrub, he will do 
he will be better at his job than I will do at anything in my life outside of pop. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm a better talker than he is, you know. But when you sign it, I was like, come on, like, I've seen this guy play. He can't play. He's not good enough. Like, we don't, you don't need no stats or anything. I've, we've seen him. And then I remember when Arthur was going to Juventus, there was a big uproar. They were saying, why is Barcelona doing this? Like Barcelona should be, um, you know, he's a young player. He's so good. I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> he really isn't. Yeah. Uh, and, and But that wasn't really the thing that got me. I was like, Barcelona sold him. And then it got Pjanic, who yeah. is three years past due. Yeah. And again, that's th- those are just two teams. We mentioned the Ronaldo contract and how it's affected them financially. But the Messi contract also does that to Barcelona. And as I said, they have to balance the books. So they come up with these weird, um, these weird swap deals where on paper it looks like income is coming in to balance the sheets, but it's it's all just nonsense. Yeah, Juventus are tough. Juventus tough are in a rough them. spot because they they do have some young talent in that team, but you know, you look at the likes of Chiellini, who's been a rock for them, he's towards the end of it. Bonucci's towards the end of it. Um, their midfield is absolutely disastrous. Um, the, the the quality or lack of quality in that midfield is is so weird considering that used to be their best point not even what five years ago they had Pogba, Pirlo, Vidal that was a good midfield now they have Bentancourt, Rabio, and occasionally Aaron Ramsey is there to add some flair to it yeah that didn't really work out Ramsey Did, Sandro was supposed to be supposed to be a player that what they had expected a lot um, good left back a very good left back, but he's getting up there in age. Good yeah, well, I, I checked the other day. He's 30 years old. Yeah, sir, I crazy. couldn't believe it. I was like, Whoo. I thought this guy was 25. Yeah. Like, so that, that, that's like, definitely a team that needs to make some hard decisions this summer. And they also have a very weird situation where Andrea Pirlo became the manager before he even managed uh, a youth game. So Yes, because they did have, like, I, they, won the, they won the championship last year with Sari. Yeah. I thought, sorry, sorry, talking about good managers, very good managers, great man. Like, Sarri's a very good manager. Yeah. And you get, you get rid of, you get rid of Sarri's a very good manager and you replace him with a novice. A novice. And that's because he's a legend. Like, Sarri, yeah, he didn't, he didn't get them, he didn't get them to where he was supposed to get them in the Champions League. Probably underachieved a bit there. But Sarri did well for um, Chelsea, won the Europa League, got them back in top four. And he won the title again with Juventus, which is, I guess, easier. What Pirlo is finding is easier said than done. Yeah, but the thing with Sarri for me was the big plus for him last year was that he actually got Dybala to play well for Juventus because Dybala had, exactly. for me, has been disappointing since they moved him from striker and they brought in Gonzalo Higuain and then they brought in Ronaldo. I think Dybala suffered at, at, at Juventus. His development has been shot for years, but then Sarri came in and he managed to make it work to an extent. I thought they would have wanted to build on that. A year later, he's gone, Pirlo's there, Dybala's having a terrible season once again. There's no indication that he's going to extend his contract, so they're probably going to cash in on him this summer. And there's also rumors that they, they need to cash in on Ronaldo this summer as well because the, the finances just don't justify the output. Where does Dybala go, though? He's 27 years old. He looks like he's 22 but or 18. But you know, it's go- it's now come now. Wherever he goes, this is it. So he still has a name, and you know, when you're Argentinian, diminutive people always will overrate you a little bit. 
So where does he go? Does he go uh, to Leicester? I don't think he falls that far, or I don't think he should fall that far. But for he's a top four team, that's not that far. <laughs> can you can you imagine this, the headlines? Pablo Dybala replaces Jamie Vardy. Vardy, yeah, that, that's a that's a fantastic. I, I, I definitely think he needs to go to a team where they are going to look at him and say, "This is your offense. We're going to build a team around you. We're going to either play you up front, or we're going to play up a striker. Which, whichever way we play you." this is your team, the attack's going to flow through you because that's that was the best of him. It was the best of him at Palermo and that was the best of him at his first few years at Juventus. But that's years there's ago. Only a, there's only a few teams that will be able to afford the salary. I can see um, Barcelona is in a messy. You, you, hard to really count them in. Mm-hmm. I don't really see him at Real Madrid, but you know Real Madrid always would like a big name. Uh you have to go to England with Arsenal every year. They 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 splurge. Would they would they splurge on him? Uh, I think this. I think Arsenal would be a good team for him, but it all depends on what they do with their offense. Lacazette might be on the out, but again, I don't see DiBala going to Arsenal and being successful if Aubameyang is still the main man in that offense. It has to be a team where he is the is the guy. You know, it's funny, Stefan. You and I talk about DiBala. If he signed for Arsenal, everyone was talking about what a great sign is, how good he is, he's yep. great, whatever. Um, when the reality is, he's actually not a fantastic player. It was just that he had fantastic potential. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a huge risk signing him. Yeah, so, for, no, for sure. Any team, any team that's signing the ball, if they're hyping it up as, oh, this is going to work, it's going to be a success, they're they're being very optimistic. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason for optimism, but he's not a player that you signed this year and you're like, he's definitely going to come in and be successful. I, the reason, yeah, like the reason I suggest Leicester and um, Arsenal, because those teams, yeah, you need, they need to gamble to get yeah. ahead. Like if it hits, it hits. If it misses, well, you're, you're still 10th. You know who has been an interesting signing depending on who they keep this summer? Dortmund. Yeah, but Dortmund don't have the money for him. Well, if Haaland leaves, they might have some change. <laughs> Oh yeah, Sancho leave. They might have some change, so you never know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Did. That might be some place for him to drop. That is interesting. You know, you just don't really think of the wages. Like if they if they have the wage structure to really get him in, even though they have money, they may have the money to pay a transfer fee, but do they have the money to pay the wages? And how does yeah. that work with everybody else? Yeah, my final suggestion would also be Atletico Madrid. Yeah, but they have. How does he and the Portuguese name slips me at the moment? Uh, Felix, Joe Felix. Felix yeah, well, Felix. Joe Felix. That? I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Felix tries to get a move. Yeah, he talk about the man. I swear to you, if these, if his name was was John, was John Felix, and it was from <laughs> England, everyone would say, "Oh, what an overrated player! He's so overrated." In English media. Just overrates all these players, but he has a nice um, Latin name, so it's wow. He has a nice Latin name, so you know it's going to be. Uh, I think well, you're being. I think you're being a bit unfair there. <laughs> no, no, I think you're being a bit unfair there. I have definitely seen people calling him out. I've definitely seen. Really? I've seen people calling him out as overrated, but for me, I just think Atletico Madrid isn't the team for him. Mm. Maybe no team is a team. He's, he's managed to score seven goals in La Liga this year, so congrats to him. Yep. Anyway, moving on. Tell me a memorable game where at the end of it you felt, damn, 
how did that team lose? I really feel sorry for the players. Like, damn, that was that was some bullshit right there. Uh, if there's one game where I was absolutely stunned at the final whistle for the result, it would have to be the 2012 Champions League final between Chelsea and Bayern Munich because I have never seen a team dominate a game so much and still contrive to lose it somehow. <laughs> I remember that game like it was yesterday. Bayern Munich were on them from the word go. Finally scored from Thomas Muller. And then somehow Bayern Munich threw it away. 45 shots in a Champions League final and you don't win. At home, David, it made no sense. And losing on penalties. And then they lost on penalties after missing a penalty themselves in extra time. Oh, man, I tell you. And who was the who was the visionary manager who won that Champions League? Roberto Di Matteo. Di Matteo. <laughs> like, how did that happen? It makes no sense. I remember Man. going back those years, you said to me before the game, it's destiny. Chelsea are going to win this game. And they, they won. Be, because Chelsea, it had been years. Chelsea had good teams, really good teams, and they didn't win. And it was a, sometimes it all just... Um, those all comes together. It's a cumulative karma. And they were able to get it. Drogba and then were able to get it. And they didn't... Terry wasn't playing. He was banned for the game. He got that stupid suspension against Barcelona. It really should have been knocked out by Barcelona. Really should have been knocked out by... By... They forget the team. Cavani played for them. Um, they lost to... Uh, Napoli. How they managed to win the next, like, 4-1. It was... It was absolutely thing, and I hated Di Matteo as a manager. Didn't play storage enough. That 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 um final, he played the left back at right wing. If I if I remember, Ryan Bertrand, yeah, Ryan Bertrand. <laughs> I swear, when I watched oh. when that game ended, I, I I remember I watched it with two friends at my place, and the final whistle and after drug was scored and the final whistle blew. I remember just sitting there in stone. There's two games in history. Now that, now that we've gotten into this topic where once the final whistle blew, I just sat there in my couch and said, how? The other one actually, going back to the Invincible season, was that Champions League game. Once again with Chelsea against Arsenal, where Arsenal somehow lost at home and didn't get to progress to, to play, play Monaco when they dominated I- the game. I, yeah, that are, the, the, the reason why that one didn't surprise me so much Arsenal was on an extremely long winning streak, non-losing streak against Chelsea. And yeah. it just seemed like it had same destiny. It had to come to an end somehow. And Arsenal, I, I still I still see it now. I still see Wayne Bridge scoring, all because it was Ebu that didn't track the run. One mistake, boom, you're out. Yeah, but you know, you, you mentioned Arsenal. The, um, quickly on Arsenal, the game that really comes to my mind was Champions League 2009, was it? Um, or t- 2008? Arsenal game? versus Liverpool quarterfinal. Oh, when I mean gosh. Arsenal were so good. <laughs> I, I, you know, the whole point of this is like, you watch the game and one team is so good. The first leg, oh, Arsenal dropped left. They should have had a penalty. And as you see Jamie Carragher's face. 
uh, and he is just shot like his face because he knows it's a penalty. It's not on him. Forget who it was on. I just remember his face. He knows the ref is calling. The ref doesn't call it. In the, the first 30 minutes of the next game, I'm telling you, Arsenal is doing unbelievable things <laughs> with the football. Gerard is being destroyed by Cesc Fabregas. And it's a situation in which Arsenal have one player who is just a total clown. Who he, he sender us. So it's one all. Uh, it's two, it's two one. Theo Walcott, who at this time gets the Grid, has a Maradona-esque run. And it's 2-2. And Arsenal, no, it's 2-2. Liverpool got two goals. They should never have gotten those two goals. It, they have been just a total disaster. Arsenal's done everything right, it seems. They should not be losing. They should not lose the game. Right after, Ryan Babble takes a dive and they give away a penalty. And I was like, how cruel is that? Arsenal should have had a penalty in the first, a stone-cut penalty. A penalty isn't called. A penalty is not, that shouldn't have been called is called. And they're going to lose, of course, you know, late, late counter-attack goal. They lose 4-2. And the history books will say 4-2. And I, I, I keep saying, I was like, and I remember a friend of mine does like Arsenal. He was like, yeah, you, I agree that it wasn't it the first, that Arsenal should have a penalty, but yeah, that was a penalty. I was like, no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> it was not. It was like, yeah, Ryan Babel just jumped up in the air. <laughs> it was like a leap jump. And it was, I, could, I couldn't believe at all. And Rafa Benitez was a manager. Rafa Benitez at the time was a European expert. And I remember after the other buyer girl, I was like, yeah, Arsenal is just way better than Liverpool. This shouldn't even be a contest. Yeah. And yet Liverpool went on. Um, they lost to Chelsea that year, again, coincidentally. Yeah. But that one, that one, I really, I really felt it for Wenger for that one because their team was really good. And Fabregas, oh, uh, he just destroyed Gerard. Gerard was so bad. It was like almost as if Gerard had on has had on his England shirt that year because it was the same <laughs> year in which England didn't qualify for the Euros. Yeah, no, oh, no, know that know that you mentioned it. I can remember being in high school, sneaking into the AV room to watch that first half an hour that you said they were so good in, and I remember it was Diaby in midfield and the, it was Diaby yeah. Sest, Flamini, and Ibue <laughs> was the midfield four. And Kleb was playing off of Adebayor. Adebayor. And, and Kleb and was running. Kleb. The things Kleb. Fabregas and Kleb and Diaby were doing. Were doing yeah. And yeah. I'm no big Diaby fan. Like, yeah. I, you know, everyone was saying Diaby is the next, this, whatever. And I was like, I don't really see it. this game. No. This I, game, I was like, oh, I always, yeah. I always no, I see it now. Like, I think, I think like, you know, when we talk about Arsenal, like, we talk about players who don't have a position, but if they're in a system that can that is fluid, they can the system can make them make everyone better rather than them make everyone else. That was Cleb. Cleb yeah. in the Arsenal system, you can't just put him on the left, you can't just put him on the right, you can't just see Spain striker. But in the Arsenal system where he, he, he doesn't score a lot, does this, but he just plays so fluidly yeah, and he, he has this natural technique. Like yeah. I he could see him. Either, from what I remember. Yeah, exactly. Like that is what like. When you no know, Diaby, of course, got hurt. Like that's what I felt with Diaby um, and Kleb. Like those are two type of football players in the Arsenal system. If they had managed to stay healthy and stay together, the fluency would have just been remarkable. 
Um, so you, you look back, look back at it, and I'm always like, wow, what could have been? Sorry to bring it up, but <laughs> no, international. No, yeah, sorry, continue. No, I, I agree with you. Like that, going back to that 2007, 2008 Arsenal team, they even had Rosicky, who I think was also a little bit similar in that way. Where you just put him on the field and you say, "Yo, bro, just play some football." Bro, play, especially with with players that can play. The players have to be of a certain technique, though. Like, yeah. I don't think you could put Rosicky on, like, I don't know, name a team in um, Everton, yeah, and be like, "All right, play well." Yeah, I feel like you will. You would have issues, but in a system that is fluid and other players. There is a connective tissue there that you can do. And even on those teams, players like Kleb and them, and they're not going to give you those eye-popping stats, but the yeah. team is just going to flow so well. And, um, and then you have the guys who capitalized off of it, the Van Persons, the Adibayors, the Fabregases, and then you just have the guys who played around them and made them and made everything click. It's a shame that team didn't win, win anything. Yeah, Ibue, Ibue was a... Oh, that team was really... Wenger, Wenger had a really good team that year. But not having, there were just one player, there were one player short, even with Van Persie getting hurt a lot that year, but there were one player short in the midfield. And it was the fact that he had to play Ibue so much in midfield. Yeah. That was the, that was where he was short. I know he sold Diara early in the scene, but I remember there was a big shout about Diara, but Diara was garbage. Yeah. You say you have an international one. Well, yeah, I have two, but one is going to be brief and one is going to be more. Italy versus the Dutch in Euro 2000, which most people don't remember. The Dutch had two penalties. Italy were down to nine men and Leicester is up, was it 5-0 now? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, to Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. Talk about, yeah, talk about excitement. <laughs> ringing up the you know, cash pot. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, and they had two penalties. They missed them both. Italy were just being destroyed. And this is, you know, like people don't talk about these. Like when people are talking about Maldini and Cannavara and all of them, people never mention the fact of how, of the bad games. You know, they, they never talk about the disaster, like how the Dutch were just running through them or how in the final where they, where they just were being destroyed by Henri and made critical mistakes that caused them the game. That's never talked about. No. But this was one game in which the Dutch should have reeled. That was in the, it was in the Netherlands. They should have won the tournament. They had the best team. They were even better than France that won. And they they lost on penalties. Uh they missed so many, they missed two penalties in the game, and I think they missed three in the shootout. Missed five penalties in one game. <laughs> five penalties. Um uh, talk about a team that had so much talent. After that, the Dutch talent. That was the peak of the Dutch, the of the last great Dutch talent. Um, it started to fall down after that. If I remember correctly, the Dutch actually played France earlier in the tournament and beat them. Yeah, but it was a weird game because both had qualified and Zidane and then and Henri didn't play. Okay. And couple and a couple key players for the Dutch didn't play as well. So it was kind of a dead rubber. Yeah. But uh, yeah. and the winner. Um, the loser ended up playing Spain, but they didn't know they were going to play Spain. They thought they were going to play another team, but Spain managed to squeak out the results. So France got lucky. So it was one of them where Spain seemed like they were going to underachieve and not qualify, but they did. But anyway, but the other one that I have was in the recent, the World Cup. I'm no big Brazil fan. 
But uh, I was on the TV today. Brazil versus Belgium was on. And that second half, I watched it. I really don't know how much better Brazil could play or any team could play. Douglas Costa came on and played very, very well. Yeah. Uh, uh, they brought on Renato. He scored that goal. His runs were really dangerous. They were pulling their midfield apart. Neymar was dangerous. Courtois uh, it, it, was on fire, making fingertip save. Coutinho was in form. They were used, the skills that were on display. The second half, Brazil did so much right. It was unbelievable. And for them to not get their just rewards, I really felt a little bad for them. Were you watching the game? At the end of it, I, I still re-watching that game, I still was expecting Brazil to equalize. <laughs> I still was expecting them to equalize. It's like they must, they're going to equalize. They're going, it's going to it was. I remember when and then when Neymar took that shot and the fingertips, it was almost like I was reliving it. I was like, what? It's like they're going to lose. <laughs> Uh, no, I agree. That, was a, that was a game where Brazil, they did everything they could have done. The thing about that game, which annoys me to this day, is people will always point out or always incorrectly state that Neymar disappeared in that game. And he was absolutely mm. sensational. <laughs> like, he was great. Yeah, Neymar was with the only, the, the, well, you know, Neymar's lifestyle, people question yeah. the way how he falls thing. And there was, there was incidents where he was dropping. But uh, aside from that, he was he was so good. He's the best player. They, the they couldn't be with him. And, the cons- and also have to consider two things with that Brazil team. They had a backup right back playing because Dani Alves was out. Casemiro was out. Um, and Fernandinho, of course, takes the blame for the loss on because Lukaku, who was absolutely brilliant in the first half, on a, when Lukaku's game where the power and touch finally somewhat comes together. Yeah, and he, he takes the blame for not pulling him down before De Bruyne scores. So it's like, but that second, I, I was really sticking to that second half and how they were just absolutely able to just be all over Belgium and just run later. Like, eh, it was unfortunate. But if you're, especially I don't, you know, Brazil fans must be like, wow. Uh, I'm sure Brazil will probably talk about other games that they have lost, like in the 1990 when they lost to Argentina, similar regards, but in the color TV HD era, <laughs> got to go with um, got to go with that. Yeah, good show. Good. All right, anything else you want to talk about? Ah, uh, no, that sums up my football week. All right, then, Stefan, catch up with you next week. Peace. <laughs>